Hello. Welcome. Uh, my name is Simon Stokes, and I'm the REF Campus Minister at UNC. And I've been here for the whole month of September uh, preaching and teaching through uh, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, a part that people call the Beatitudes or the Blessings that Jesus gives to his people. And I want to say, I mean, this is the final uh, week in September and the last week I'll be here. What a pleasure it's been to be here with y'all and how kind and hospitable y'all have been to me and to my family. Um, it is just a really, really sweet church. Um, and we are so glad to get to come and be with y'all. Uh, and I am so glad that y'all are getting an interim here starting soon. Um, everything I've heard about him is really wonderful and good. Now you're going to be in good hands um, because you're in the Lord's hands. And he cares deeply about you and cares deeply about this place. And it's been a real pleasure to uh, get to partake in this um, with you and to get to do some Sundays with y'all as well. Um, so like I said, we're going through the Sermon on the Mount and uh, we're teaching and talking about what does it look like for Jesus uh, to bless his people and to bless them in their poverty, to bless them in their mourning, uh, to bless them in their meekness. And today we're talking about what does it look like for him to bless them in their hungering and their thirsting for righteousness. I don't know if you've seen this or not. It used to be on NBC. Now I think it's on Netflix. Uh, but the show called The Good Place. Have you seen this? Uh, it's about uh, the afterlife and these people who die and they're in the afterlife. And, you know, it's not biblically accurate, but it is a, a funny show. Because the premise is this, is that uh, after you die, you either go to the good place or the bad place. And where you end up is based on how many points you accumulated through your life. And you get points for everything. Points for things that you've done positively. Points for things you've done negatively. And it's just this constant score being kept about your life. So you remember your sister's birthday, 15 points. Uh, Remain a loyal fan to the Cleveland Browns, 53 points. If you let someone merge in traffic in front of you, 12,000 points. I'll never earn that. Uh, If you eat vegan, 420 points, but you can also lose points. So if you tell people that you eat vegan, minus 800 points. And it's, it's funny And we laugh, but it is also what we do at the same time, that we have this running calculator of points in our heads uh, for ourselves, for the people around us, keeping score for all of life. And the Sermon on the Mount is all about this good life that Jesus offers to his people, a full, satisfying, rich, whole life. And as he talks about our hungering and our thirsting, he's saying, hey, you know, you are not going to be able to get this by keeping score. You're not going to get this by accumulating points. You can't mess this up by losing points. Because the reality is, is that we keep score for others when we assign points and we take them away. And we do the same thing for ourselves. Because, I mean, you can hear a guy like me stand up here and tell you that you're forgiven in Jesus and sincerely say that, but then say to yourself, yeah, but not for this thing. And it's because we're keeping score. Like, make this much money, points. Take this stand for this candidate, points. Weigh a certain amount, points. Take your kids on a play date where they pick up uh, Chick-fil-A, points. But eat Taco Bell at midnight and you're by your car, negative points. Right? I mean, there's always some culture or some subculture that's shaping our view of the good life. Of what wholeness, fullness, abundance from God would look like. And we believe that when we get these things through these points or through these methods, then we'll get the good life. But in reality, those things are like this tyrannical force in your life that will turn on you in an instant 
and leave you feeling empty and despairing again and again and again. Because they promise to satisfy you if you get enough points, but there's never enough points. And you're left hungry. And what I want to suggest to you today is that you long to be satisfied with righteousness. You long to be satisfied with a world that is right, that is righteous and beautiful and vibrant and clean. You don't just long for it, but you're hungry for it. You may not even be aware of it, but so much of what you worry about, feel dissatisfied in your life about, look for joy in, hope in, is driven by the desire to feel right, to feel whole, to feel righteous. And when we look out in the world and we see the sad and broken parts of it, at poverty, and justice, at war, at broken families made up of broken people. What we want is a world that's right. We don't just want to be righteous, we want to live in a place that is righteous. And there are a million different ways that people are trying to get this sort of thing. Try to fill up this hunger, satisfy this thirst. But there's only one real way that it can happen. Through God blessing you in and through Jesus. And you feeding on his words and his life. So today, I want to look at these words from Jesus. And I just want to ask two questions. For what do we hunger? And how shall we be satisfied? What do we hunger? How shall we be satisfied? I'm going to read this short sentence from Jesus and pray and begin. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall be satisfied. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we have so many hungerings, so many thirstings, so much that we long for. So many parts of our lives that feel empty, that feel desolate, that feel needy. Lord, would you meet us today in all those places? Will you meet us today in all the ways in which we take those hungerings and those thirstings and we apply things to them that were never meant to be applied? God, would you be the one that satisfies us? Would you be the one that fills us up? Would you be the one that blesses us by actually helping us to feel how hungry we are and then dealing with that hunger yourself? Lord, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redemption. Amen. So what do we hunger for? You know, the strange promise of Jesus' blessing in this Is that the only way to not be hungry and thirsty is actually to embrace your hunger and your thirst? That all you need is actually to feel your need? That instead of denying your hunger for righteousness, he actually calls us to embrace it? This is why, if you look at the Greek here, Jesus doesn't just say righteousness, like, but he says the righteousness. This is whole approach to life of like, I want to feel right. I want to be right. I want everything around me to be right as well. We think of righteousness as a sense of just personal rightness. Like, I'm not doing bad things. I'm only doing good things. And it's certainly not less than that, but it's also more than that. Think of it here as you being right and everything around you, in your family, in your community, in your workplace. In the environment, in the the globe, it's being right as well. The root meaning of this word right is actually probably something like fixed or straight. It's something or someone doing exactly what they were meant to do. So like if you look in the Old Testament, it gets applied to like accurate weights and measurements. 
And that's not because those things are morally right or wrong. It's because they're actually doing what they're supposed to do. Like this is a righteous weight means it's just the right weight it is. Or Psalm 23, when it says the Lord is my shepherd, that famous psalm, right? It says he leads his sheep in right paths. And it's kind of like this double meaning of like, because it's God with his people, it's morally right paths, right? But it's also the paths that take them in the right place and guide them in the right way. When righteousness gets applied to our relationships, it's never an abstract thing either. Like in the strictest meaning of the word, a righteous person is someone who is in right relationship with God, with themselves, with the people around them. It's not an abstract concept. It's something that's like warm bread or good brownies or rich meat. It's just to be touched and tasted and lived out in this life in which you and I are embedded. Look, this is why righteousness is never just a personal thing and it's never just a community thing. Like telling your family and your friends about Jesus and praying are good things and that's part of righteousness. And working for the poor, investing in local schools, seeking justice for the community, those are also righteous things. And it's not like you pick one or the other and decide which kind of Christian you're going to be. Both are meant to go together as one. Look, each of us has part of a desire to see righteousness prevail in God's world. To hunger and thirst for righteousness is to long for yourself and to long for the world to be made right. I mean, just think about the metaphor Jesus is using here. Like when you're hungry, you're looking for something outside of yourself to satisfy that, right? Like you're not going to be hungry and eat your own arm. You're going to be hungry and go make a sandwich. When you're hungry and thirsty, you're searching. You're looking. When you're hungry and thirsty, you feel weak. It underscores the fact that you don't have what you need in yourself to live, to be whole, to have health. To be hungry and thirsty for righteousness means that we have this deep, deep need inside of ourselves. And it's not something that we can have the resources to ever take care of on our own. In fact, the more that we try to deal with these internal longings to feel right, to look right, to be right on our own, the less we'll be able to achieve that sense of righteousness ourselves. The hungrier and the thirstier we'll be. And one way to think about are we doing this or not doing this is to look at our calendar. Like if you want to know what you believe makes you feel right or feel whole or feel loved, look at your actions and how you spend your time. What are you willing to get up early for? Go to bed late for? To spend your time and your energy and your talents on? What are you willing to spend yourself on? And if someone came into your life and did an audit of the last week on your calendar... And even deeper than that, asked you what was behind the desires of your heart in that. What would be there? What would they see? What would you see? We're hungry and we're thirsty. We scroll and we scroll and we scroll through our phones. And it's not just because we're bored. It's because we're hungry. We work and we work and we work for the right people to approve of us or like us. And it's not just because we want to be in. It's because we're hungry. Look, the problem with trying to make ourselves righteous is that we can't do it ourselves. I mean, it really is a hunger. Look, when you look for it outside of yourself, you will always have to find it in the right place and in the right person. And to walk around and to live with this hunger and to live with this thirst and to never find it satisfied is just a recipe for disaster in your life. 
Do you know the term hangry? Have you ever heard of that term? Where it's like you're hungry and you're angry. If you don't know what I'm talking about, just don't eat lunch until like 1.30 or 2 o'clock and you'll, you'll know what I mean. Uh, but being hangry is this sense that you know, I'm so hungry that I'm angry and I'm just grumpy and I'm rude to the people around me. And I'm just, I can be just downright mean to them. You know, you can be hangry with righteousness too. That religious people can be hangry with religious things. Like, oh, why don't these people just get their stuff right? Like, if they just read the Bible and stopped sinning, they'd be fine. <laughs> and they're like this angry religious person. And it's not that, you know, there isn't something right to saying, you know, someone should read the Bible. But reading the Bible on its own doesn't make you righteous. Like, you actually need God to meet you in that and to fill you in that and to change your heart. But we can be hangry about those things. Look, non-religious people try to do the same thing with politics, with social movements, with work. I mean, when you read the national news and you see how angry people are with one another, it's not just over issues of politics. It's they're actually hangry. They're hungry for righteousness and they're mad because the things they're turning to to feel righteous aren't actually satisfying them the way they want. Look, I know this is a Netflix-heavy uh, sermon today, so I'll, just, I'll embrace that. Uh, but there's another show on Netflix called Alone. I don't know if you've ever seen this. It's, uh, it's like about these survivalist people who get dropped off into the, the wilderness. And uh, they're all by themselves, and they're just trying to like scrape by and eat whatever they can eat. So most people are like catching rabbits or like sometimes getting like mice or maybe catching a fish. One guy in there, he managed to actually kill a moose. And so everyone else is like eating a rabbit. He's got a 900-pound moose that he's eating on. But the problem is that moose is actually so lean and high in protein that he can eat it and eat it and eat it and actually still be losing weight. Like, and he eats and he eats and he eats on this moose and he gets thinner and thinner and thinner and he can't be satisfied with it. And we can do the same things. You can eat your work. You can eat your family. You can eat beauty and friendship. You can try to numb your hunger. You can numb it with entertainment. You can numb it with alcohol, with drugs, with sex. And to that, Jesus says, I don't want you to numb these things. I want you to embrace your hunger. I want not just to give you the good life. I want to be the good life for you. This is what we crave And this is what Jesus delights to give. That isn't just delight to make sinful people righteous. He delights to be their righteousness. To satisfy their hearts and their souls by coming to the empty, hungry parts of their lives and giving them the fullness of his life. To be satisfied with him is to have this sense of absolute, utter fullness. Like when you sit down at a really big like family meal or maybe Thanksgiving and you're surrounded by like casseroles and bread and four different desserts and this huge piece of roast meat. And you eat and you eat and you eat and you laugh and you drink. And at the end of it, you just kind of push yourself back and say, oh, I couldn't want for another thing. I'm so full. Jesus wants you to have that in your heart and your soul. Where you say, I couldn't want for another thing. I'm so full. This sort of satisfaction really saves us from running off the rails in two different ways as we approach God. 
Look, if you approach God and your sense of satisfaction in him is all about your own personal piety and your sense of devotional life, and it's not about the people around you, it's just not going to be very satisfying. Like if your sense is what God really cares about is me and my experience of salvation, like that will take you so far. It will not ultimately satisfy you because what you want is not just God to be in your life, though you need that as a starting place. But what you want and what you're hungry for is God to be in your life and flow through your life in the lives of the people around you. Like you long for your family to know the wholeness and the healing of Jesus. You long for your neighborhood to know the wholeness and the healing of Jesus. It can't just be about you. But on the other hand, if you pursue righteousness, justice, peace in your communities, but you neglect your individual righteousness, it's also not very satisfying. Like it's, if you approach it and say, you know, as long as I care about the right causes, I can live personally any way as I want. Then it can't be satisfying because you're giving everyone around you a sense of what a good life is or the right life might be. But you're not living in the way that God made you to live. But to be satisfied, we need righteousness in both our personal lives and in our communities. That you are someone who is made to live with other people and to have the whole of your life surrounded by God's righteousness. And God longs to give that to you too. He says, you're hungry and you're thirsty. I will satisfy you. I will declare that you're righteous. I will say that you're righteous. And when I say it, no one else can take that away. If God says this is true about you, you will be righteous. I will give you righteousness that is so pure and so bulletproof that people can try to shame you and heap failure on you. And it will not stick. That you can try to heap shame and failure on yourself and it will not stick. I will fill your life. I will be your life. I will be your hope. Do you know that Jesus came to make dead people alive? That he came to satisfy you with his righteousness? And to give you righteousness that you couldn't supply for yourselves? Look, do you feel like a failure? He will give you his merit. Do you feel lonely? He will give you his presence. Do you feel ashamed? He will give you his glory. Because Jesus Christ took the place of your shame and your failure. Because he who knew no sin became sin so that you would become the righteousness of God. All of your shame and all of your failures have been dealt with. And one day you will feel as clean as you actually are in him. One day the world will be as full and vibrant and beautiful as it was always meant to be. And you long for that and he will meet you in those places in that longing. And until then, there'll be times as you approach him that when you feel empty and times when you feel full and he will satisfy you in those times as well. And one of the best things you can do is look at your life and to honestly say to him, Jesus, as much as I want these things to satisfy, as much as I want my family and my work, and my children and my politics and my money to satisfy me, man, they can't. They can't. Will you satisfy me? Would you take the hunger and the thirst of my soul and give me the only food that you have to give? Which is yourself. Don't just give me a righteousness. Give me your righteousness. Do you know that God loves to answer those prayers? Do you know how you would know that he had done that in your life? Look, if you could step into a room like this one and look around at these people 
and not say, look, I'm going to come in here. I'm going to get what I can get. I'm going to hope for the best experience I can hope for. I'm going to hope for the best sense of closeness to God that I can hope for. I'm going to take and consume. But what if you came into a room like this one and you said, you know, these people are going to be the means by which God blesses me. This place might be the means by which God meets me, my hunger and my thirsting. But these people in this place, they cannot be the answer to that hunger and that thirst. Only Jesus can be that. And then when Jesus meets you in that, you can step into a room like this one knowing that you can say to these people, gosh, you are never going to give me what I wanted you to give me. But how can we meet Jesus together? How can we take our longings to him together? How can we ask him to meet us and satisfy the empty places of our life together in worship and inviting you over to my home and talking about what's really going on in my life and praying together and saying, gosh, what would it look like for God's righteousness to be in this neighborhood and on the street in Kenwood? Like, what if we didn't look for one another to meet our righteousness? But when we look to Jesus to meet that righteousness, we said, oh, let's give this to the people around us. Let's meet one another in that. I want to end with this. Um, one, of the, one of the bright spots, I think, of the last few months has been that there's at least been some sports games still playing. And the NBA has been running a full season within the bubble where they're not getting out and doing anything else but playing basketball uh, and one of the teams that's been playing has been the San Antonio Spurs, which has historically been one of the best teams of all time. I don't think they're that great this year, but all right. Uh, but in 2013, they were on fire. And they were, went to Miami to go play against LeBron. And they were highly anticipated to win this game. They thought that they had it in the bag almost as they went in. But <laughs> LeBron, being LeBron, did what he does and just shut them out. And... At the end of this game, the Spurs, they go to the locker room, and it's like these grown men who hate to lose. They're in the NBA. They're incredibly competitive men, and they're just broken, and they're sad, and they're disappointed. They fail in front of all these people. They failed in front of one another, and just like they have like the towels over their head, and they're not making eye contact, and they're just sad. And their coach, Greg Popovich, who's this really hard, tough-as-nails guy, he looks at them, and he sees what's going on, and he says, okay, everybody – Go to the showers, meet me at the restaurant that we were supposed to go to if we won this game. And he goes on ahead of them, and he sets it up where there's appetizers coming in, and there's wine coming in. And he moves all the tables out, and he sets up all the chairs in this big circle. And as each guy comes in, he's given a smile and a handshake and a pat on the back, and he starts to work the room and just tell stories And meet people in this place of failure and loss and shame and just deep disappointment. And it's like he's this father of the bride at a wedding instead of a coach over a team that's lost. And at the end of the night, the CEO of the Spurs says that that by far, this guy working in this room, loving these guys, bringing them to a place where they could talk about stuff and be loved. Like that was the greatest moment I'd ever seen in sports. Because he met them in a place of brokenness, a place of emptiness, and he filled them up. And what I want to say to you is that Jesus Christ is the same thing. That you hunger and thirst for him to meet you in the broken and empty places of your life. In your failures. 
and things that you would never talk to about another person. And you expect at times that he's going to meet you in that place and he's going to yell at you or shame you. And the reality is he loves you, welcomes you, embraces you and says, I will be your righteousness. I will be life in the places where you feel empty and dead. And man, if that's you, if you feel that today, I want to say, welcome. Jesus Christ is me and you in that through his gospel. And all you have to have it is ask him for it. Because he loves to give that gift. He loves to give that blessing. Amen. Let me pray for us. Jesus, I thank you that you meet us in empty places and you fill us. Lord, I thank you that you love us and you care for us in the places where we feel like a failure, in places where we feel lonely. God, there is so much hunger in this room. There's so much thirst in this place. And God, I pray that you would satisfy us in the ways that only you can satisfy us, with your very self and your very presence in our lives. In your name we pray, amen.